Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Lanza para poner por delante al Arsenal, Alexis por el centro, la euforia en el Emirates, los Gunners 2-1. This is Arscast Extra. Hello there, welcome to another Arscast Extra, as always with James from Gunnerblog. Goodly morning to you, James. Goodly morning to you, Andrew. How, how are you faring today? I am okay. A little bit tired. It's been a long weekend, but generally quite a quite a good, exciting, and vaguely arousing weekend. Well, I mean, it's still buzzing, surely. I mean, and can it be coincidence that many people will be listening to this on Valentine's Day, I imagine, and this past weekend you met your one true Valentine? <laughs> My wife listens to this podcast as well. So. No, no, no. She, uh, yeah, no, ov- obviously I did a thing last week with uh, with Robert Perez, which was uh, which was really very exciting, I have to say. It was, uh, it was great fun to do. And uh, if you've seen my Instagram page, uh, I think I do look quite quite happy to be mm. sitting there alongside. You look like a Alexis with his dogs, to be honest. It's that sort of expression. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the true measure of happiness, isn't it? How happy does he I look on so. a scale of 1 to 10, where 11 is Alexis with his dogs? The spinal tap of happiness in some ways. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it was great. It was really... Um, Really, uh, I don't know how to say it. You know when you sort of hold someone up as a bit of a hero or or you put them on a pedestal and you're like slightly worried, like what if, what if this person isn't quite as cool and nice as I would like them to be? But however nice you would like Robert Perez to be, he's even nicer than that in real yeah. life. Um, so it was, uh, yeah, it was fun and interesting. I did a, an interview with him, a Q&A. It was a, a charity breakfast type affair where it was it was a fairly intimate setting uh 24 25 people in the room so I did a bit of an interview with him and we did uh some Q&A and and stuff like that afterwards and you know it was very interesting to hear him talk and hear him talk about the current squad in comparison to the the squad that he played in do you want to hear something? Mm-hmm. Do you want to hear what I, I give def- you? I, yeah, definitely do. Here's a here's what he said. I'm not breaking any confidences here. Um but he reckons that the current squad is technically, and I use that word, technically better than the one that he played in. In terms right. of the sheer footballing ability, the technical ability um, of the players themselves. Um, and that's that's saying something when you consider some of the players that we had at that time. Obviously, Perez and Henri, Bergkamp, Vieira, Jumberg, etc., etc. But I think he means in general the overall quality of the squad in terms of its technical football ability is greater than the one that he played in that went a full season unbeaten, right? Yeah. Wow. The difference, of course, is uh, is the mentality, the the, the character. 
Um, and he wasn't casting aspersions. He just pointed that out as the difference between that squad uh, and the current squad. Um, so that was very that was quite interesting to hear. Yeah, that's absolutely fascinating. I mean, I think I saw some quotes from him uh, fairly recently saying that he felt that there weren't enough English players in the squad. Was that something he mentioned at all? It is, yeah. He did say that when you come to to that side of the game, when you have um, a good squad, what can make the difference it are the players. And he said uh, people like Martin Keown, Tony Adams... Lee Dixon, you know, these guys, and he did sort of stress their their Englishness as a reason, perhaps it was the blend of, of the quality, the technical quality, and the, the English spirit or character, if you like. Uh, and he did point to that a couple of times as being one of the missing ingredients uh, that, that sort of would help Arsenal go on and take the next step in, in terms of uh, winning the title. So... Yeah, that was it. We talked a little bit about um, him. You might remember back in November, I think it was November or October, uh, he talked about, I, maybe it was earlier than that, I can't quite remember, but he talked to Lekeep about becoming the sporting director at Arsenal. How he said, yeah. Arson, Arson knows that's what I want. That's the next step for me. So I asked him if that was something that he'd be really interested in. He said, yes, you know, he would love to be able to help. He'd love to be able to help in terms of player recruitment, for example. He feels like he could do a job there whereby, you know, you meet the player, you meet the parents, you, you show them the club, you're sort of a, an ambassador for potential new players, whether they come in at youth level or, or senior signings. So that was something he was interested in in pursuing. Um, so it remains to be seen whether or not anything will happen in that regard uh, and obviously it's it's going to be something that he'll talk to Arsene Wenger about or maybe it's something that will be put in place in the summer. Um, if there are big changes, who knows? I don't know. Um, Did you ask him about that at all, about his impression about the future for the club and the manager? His feeling was that the best thing for the club would be for Arsene Wenger to sign a new deal, but within those two years to implement the kind of thing that we've spoken about a number of times, like a succession plan, if you like, yeah. to be able to put into place these new structures where you've got a sporting director and he wasn't necessarily talking about himself, but, you know, being able to then restructure the club to be able to move on at the end of the two years without Arsene Wenger, because as we've spoken a number of times, it's not really set up to do that at this moment in time. But he he said that would be just what his preference would be. He has no idea what the intentions are. Mm. He doesn't know what Arsene Wenger is going to do. He did talk about the two-year deal that everybody seems to be talking about, and I think everybody takes that as being something that's real and and there. Um, but, you know, he, he just said in his opinion, this would be what he would like to see happen, but he wasn't making any uh, hints or, or anything like that because he, he just, I don't think he knows. If Arsene Wenger doesn't appear to know at this point, Robert Perez doesn't seem to know either, so... Yeah, it was interesting and uh, very interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. And then there was a bit where we did this thing where uh, I, I thought, you know, if 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 
if in doubt, you better be, be you know, fully prepared um, for any eventuality. So what I did was I got some pictures printed out of Robert Pires during his career, during his Arsenal career, during his France career. And, and you know, if the conversation hit a lull, we could whip out a picture and, and just say, you know, let's talk about this one. And it never really came to that. We did use some of the pictures and I showed him what I consider to be probably my favorite picture of Robert Perez and one of my favorite football pictures of all time. Now, I don't know if you remember this, but uh, I'll put it up on the blog today. People can look at it. Just visit uh, arsblog.com today and have a look at the post um, which contains this podcast. And I'll put the picture on there. But you might remember it. It is uh, Robert Perez. Dennis Wise is sort of falling falling backwards like that. He's sort of... Uh, and Perez is standing there with, like, the, he's showing him the back of his hand as if he's just going to, you know, like, whoosh, give him a quick slap yeah, yeah. in the face. And Ashley Cole is in there, and he's... Uh, Ashley Cole, who Perez called my bodyguard, um, he, uh, he's... Ashley Cole's coming in to have a bit of a... Rah, you know. And so he looked at that picture, and I was going... And Perez was going, I, I'd never hit him. I didn't hit him. You know, I was going, oh, no, I know you didn't. I just, I just liked the picture. And we, the discussion moved on, and we were talking about something else. And then he came back, he just sort of paused for a second, he came back and he said, why, why do you like that picture so much? <laughs> and I said, well, it's because uh, I hate Dennis Wise, and I love you. <laughs> and he just sort of started laughing at that, so that was, that was quite good. Uh, so I got, nice. him to, I got him to sign that picture for me, so I have that here. So that's a, that's a nice little memento, and obviously um, a, really, uh, a really fun thing to do on a... On a Friday morning, have breakfast with Robert Perez. Um, so that's, uh, that's great. And did you get a delicious breakfast into the bargain? I did. I did. It was a smoked salmon type thing, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah but yeah. I wasn't really there. The food was not the important thing uh, for me. It was uh, obviously to be able to to meet him and interview him and and do the Q and A and facilitate that for you know for the people who were there for the breakfast and you know it, nobody threw rotten eggs or the remains of their breakfast at me. So it seemed to go pretty well. So I'm I'm uh, all in all quite happy with that. So. It's it's so interesting his point about the squad being more technically gifted now. I mean, I think there's kind of like a a technical inflation that has occurred across the Premier League. Do you mm. know what I mean? I feel yeah. like all the squads are probably more packed with talent than they than they were even ten years ago. But it, it does. I, I guess the fact that he thinks that almost makes the kind of psychological shortfall all the more significant. Mm. Um, and all the more pronounced. Yeah, and it is, you know, it really is marginal. That's the thing. You know, I don't think it's... I don't think it's something that's... Um, maybe it's just 2 or 3%. You know, at this top level of sport, it can it, it can be a really small margin. That's the mm. difference between winning a game and drawing a game or drawing a game and losing a game. Um, so... Well, also, something we also used to talk about was, oh, if this Arsenal team, you know, could win the league once then they'd have that experience and be able to go back and do it again and again you know it's like that even just managing to do it one year might change everything yeah i mean we did say that a bit about the fa cup though as well didn't we that the, yeah, the trophy true. drought was was there and it was so pronounced that everybody felt um you know winning a trophy again would cast off the shadows of that a little bit and to be fair you know we won it the next year so it did to it to a certain extent um but yeah you know it's uh it's it's difficult to sort of see how exactly you bring in the players with the character who are who are going to make the difference, you know. Because um, mm. also, uh, yeah. uh, you know, Pierce talks about those that thing of English players, but 
are English players like that anymore? I, I don't know if that's as true as it was. Or, or is character and spirit the sole preserve of English exactly. players? I think maybe yeah. the, 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 the thing that he means is that the English players that we had at that time were full of that. When you think about pretty it, pretty exceptional know, characters. Absolutely, yeah. you know, old school fucking proper proper pros. You know, who'd been there and done that. And you look at what they did. I mean, would would let's say without Anfield '89 and how amazing that was. If Arsenal hadn't done that that time, would would Dixon, would Keown, would Winterburn, would uh, Adams, Bold, would they have been quite the same? Are you the, are you emboldened by what you have achieved, and that then feeds into your character that you have this, you have this belief, you know? Absolutely, it's almost so, like an aura, isn't it? They yeah. were forged in those fires, and yeah. you know, the current generation don't really have anything like that to uh, to fall back on when when things are harder to, mm. to give them that belief. Um, yeah, it's a really difficult one, and as as you say, I think the margins are incredibly. Fine. I think it's probably even smaller than two or three percent. It's it's the tiniest of things. You yeah. Know? Yeah. So yeah. Look, interesting, interesting, and you know, I think we're uh, as we've said before, living in in interesting times. Um, so it's going to be you know, it'll be fun to see what happens. I think um, over the coming months and and what have you, and we might touch on a bit more of that because there was obviously some stuff. Uh, from Ian Wright um, over the weekend, or should we just should we discuss that now, or should we get into the to the game, the game against Hull? Well, I mean, you went from the Piras to the game the next day, and I, I as warm and fuzzy as Piras made you feel, I guess you were freezing at the oh, game. <laughs> oh my god, I was right up the back of the North Upper, and it was freezing up there. There were actually clouds in the stand I think it was so it was so high up and so far back I mean it's a great view it really is a great view to to watch a game even if you are right up the top uh, but it was quiet up there I don't know what it was like in the rest of the ground mm. but it was quiet really, really quiet up there and I think that some of it has to do with um how high up it is and to be fair there were guys there who were trying to get songs going and from time to time you get a you get a thing that would break out but generally speaking it seemed seemed very quiet up there now i don't know if it's normally that quiet or if it was just to do with the the nervousness and the circumstances of the day but uh even leaving that aside it was fucking freezing it really was my feet by the end of the game were like blocks of ice um yeah. I had two pairs of trousers on. I mean, hang on, uh, what? Know. Two pairs of trousers? <laughs> what? That's a slight exaggeration. I had some. I had some long johns on. Oh, excellent. underneath my trousers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. It's, it's, it, it's effectively two pairs. Of it makes going to the toilet more complicated than you can possibly imagine. But I, uh, <laughs> yeah, it was absolutely freezing. And at one point during the in, during the second half, I realised I'd left my hat inside, and that was a real blow to me. Oh no. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. My ears basically chipped off by mm. the end of the game. Uh, and it was not, to be honest, it wasn't a game that necessarily did much to warm you. I, I, like, I, I think I said in my little video, it was one of the least comfortable 2-0 wins I've ever seen. It was quite edgy, I felt, for long periods. Yeah, I, I feel like I would have been a lot more nervous if I'd been watching that game on television. Right, than, than yeah. actually being there because you know your 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 focus is on other things. You know when you're watching when you're there at the game, you're not necessarily just watching the football. You're looking to see 
who's warming up or who might be coming on and what's going on in the crowd and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. your your focus is taken away a little bit. But when it's just on the ball all the time when you're watching on TV, I think it would have been a lot more a lot more uh, nerve wracking. True, um, true. Um, it was curious to me. Olivier Giroud never got off the bench all day. Apparently, he got up at halfway through the first half and went off to have a wee. Uh, thanks to Lucy for uh, pointing that out. She keeps a close eye on him. But uh, he never got off the bench. It was El Neni who got a good warm-up at halftime. Um, Lucas Perez and Danny Welbeck were the only substitutes sent out to warm-up at all. Giroud never even never even ran around a bit. So Yeah, that's very unusual as well, because normally, you know, Shad gets everyone on the bench rotating, particularly mm. in the first half, uh, in terms of just keeping them warm, which is something we never used to do a few years ago. We've introduced relatively recently. Yeah. So I wonder what, do you think he was there, but break, gla- break glass in case of emergency sort of thing, maybe still carrying a slight problem? Yeah, maybe so, or j- just uh, resting him, perhaps, for... Uh, yeah for uh, Wednesday night but we can we can touch on that <laughs> a yeah. bit later on you know I thought the first half they had some they had some moments where they looked quite dangerous Hull mm. um, Czech had to make a good save and I think there was one where the ball just skidded across uh, our six yard box and you're thinking holy moly uh, we look a, we look a little bit vulnerable here um, but you know we should have scored three goals at least in, in that first half I think uh, Bellerin missed a chance that he should have buried uh, yeah, Alexis Sanchez, chance. Alexis put one wide, Mesut Ozil, uh, he, he put one over the bar when really he should have scored as well. So, you know, there were bits and pieces of our football in the first half that weren't too bad. Yeah, no, and I mean, I couldn't believe that Alexis one. He, he dragged it, you know, and it looked like it was just going to nestle in the bottom corner just past the post. Um, Bellerin, I thought, should have done better. That was a good move, actually, a bit yeah. of patient build-up play. Uh, you know, it looked like the chance had gone. We worked it and found something else. Uh, you know, we were decent going forward. The, the danger was Hull on the break, and they had a couple of, of wingers who did all right. Markovic was, uh, I thought, you know, had the beating of Gibbs for pace, basically, on that side. Mm. And... Um, there was a grey-haired chap on the left wing whose name I can't remember who was giving us some problems as well. But uh, they, you know, they could have done better. They had a couple of balls fizzed across the box that if the the orientation of their strikers had been a little bit different, mm. uh, we, we might have paid the price. But uh, we did get a goal via, is it fair to say, dubious means? <laughs> I, don't, I think it's dubious... It, look, whenever there's a handball and it's an obvious handball, people are going to cry foul. Uh, mm. But it was very much like the the Koscielny one, wasn't it, against yeah. Burnley? I mean, he, he there was no uh, intention on his part to handle the ball. It wasn't like he he punched it in, although I did like your hand of dog uh, tweet. <laughs> <laughs> very good. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it, it was completely and utterly accidental. And as such, I don't think there's any issue with it being a goal. It's a tricky one, that, isn't it? Because obviously it completely changes the... The flight of the, I mean, if it doesn't hit his hand, it doesn't go in. Uh, but then, as you say, there's no intent whatsoever. Mm. I, what I did like was that as soon as it hit the net, Alexis just went mental and started celebrating <laughs> it. He, I think he, he thought, I think he thought if, this, if I make this celebration big enough, this isn't going to be ruled out. Yeah, 
Yeah, he did. He did run around a bit, didn't he? You know, I, I couldn't see it because it was up the far end. I had no idea of what happened until people around me, you know, were checking their phones and going, "Oh, could be a bit of handball. Could be handball." And from from what they were saying, it, it sounded like he might have deliberately punched the ball into the net. So I was a little, a little bit worried about that. But um, having seen replays of it, it was completely and utterly accidental. And you know, um, that's it. It's a goal. It's shit when it happens to you, but. So it goes. Yeah, well, look, we didn't get much fortune with the the first goal the previous weekend, so mm. I think we'll we'll take this one when uh, you know we'll we'll take this for sure, for sure. So second half, then, I, you know, we have a decent platform to build on, but uh, there wasn't much in our second half performance that suggested no. we were going to. We were going to get the second goal, a goal that might just give us that little bit of a cushion or wiggle room. I mean, I, you know, this isn't a good thing to say on a podcast. I can't think of much to say about our second half performance, which I think kind of tells its own story. Mm. Uh, I'm not really sure. It's a bit worrying because against Chelsea in the second half, we, you know, I thought we dropped off. And I kind of felt the same story against Hull. Maybe there was some nerves there. That's Mm. the only thing I can think because two consecutive league defeats, we desperately needed the three points. Uh, It was a relatively narrow advantage. And Hull... Hull played with a bit of abandon at times, you know, because they've they've they're coming to the Emirates Stadium. They're not expecting much, to be honest. But they've got some good results against big teams, you know, the likes of United and mm. Liverpool. So I think you know they they had a bit of a freedom in their game, and uh, yeah, I thought we looked nervy. Oh, that's what I would say, and he, throughout the team, really, just not quite um, not quite the focus and the intention that you'd expect from a, a team of our quality. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's to be expected, isn't it, I guess, given what's gone on? Well, yeah, I mean, it was, you're not going to, I don't think coming out and and expecting uh, the most fluid attacking performance, um, I don't think that that was reasonable under the circumstances, and especially given the team that he chose, there was only one change in the starting 11 from the team that lost against Chelsea. And that that might be something we come back to as well, but I'm, I'm not sure that if you want to change things around in a significant way or if you want to try and add a little bit of extra zip or verve to your team, I don't think Kieran Gibbs for Nacho Monreal is the way to do it, you know? It's um, not the one. No. I mean, I, I felt he was almost making a point. You know, sometimes we've seen from Arsene Wenger a thing where if a team lets him down, he gives them an immediate opportunity to kind of redeem themselves you know there's like a sense of well you know you've you fucked up now it's over to you guys again and I felt like that was probably what was at play because I I was surprised that there weren't more changes particularly I thought Danny Welbeck might be pushing for a start around about now I thought Lucas Perez might be allowed to start a game eventually (laughs) yeah one of these Um, days one of these days so I was a little bit surprised it was such a consistent team but I I almost saw that as Arsene throwing down the gauntlet to to the players who let him down at Stamford Bridge. Mm. Yeah, I prefer him to like smack a few of them in the head with the gauntlet, though, and just say, "I understand." Sit yeah. the fuck down. There's it's time for someone else. But I I think we've got a couple of questions on that. But uh, th- there were some dangerous moments. Petr Cech had to make a really good save at one point. Um, mm. In the second half, uh, they, they managed to carve us open. They had some corners, some set pieces, which you're always a little bit uh, concerned about. Apart from the one guy who headed over from a corner, um, Diomande, was it? 
Yeah, that was a great chance. Mm. Apart from that, though, I thought we dealt pretty well with their with their um, set pieces and their deliveries. You know, in the air, we were we were pretty good. We won the headers. Yeah, and that's without Olivier Giroud and even Granit Xhaka, who is probably better in the air than you know either than Cock- uh, uh, Oxlade Chamberlain, for yeah. example. Um, Theo Walcott got in a scrap. He did, didn't he? Yeah, that was interesting. I mean, uh, obviously I had the benefit of replays where I was sat, so I could see, you know, that there'd been a, a tussle with Maguire and he hadn't let him go. But he was as, about as fired up as, well, I think as you'll ever see Theo Walcott. Well, yeah, you know, it was after the game I was thinking, well, look here, there's something wrong with our team <laughs> if, the, if the most aggressive man on the pitch is Theo Walcott, who's got the hump because a defender who's quite considerably larger than him has just held him off and, and uh, seen the ball out for a goal kick. I mean, I like the fact that he got annoyed about it. Um, I think he got actually more annoyed with... Uh, who's the other the fat bloke who used to play for Spurs? Huddleston. Huddleston. So he was mm. a little bit like whatever with Maguire. He was sort of laughing at him a little bit, uh, you know, and he threw the ball away and got himself a yellow card for that. Um, quite why he threw the ball at the linesman, I'm not, I'm not sure. And he's lucky, you know, his throwing was as rubbish as his finishing yeah. can be sometimes. But um, <laughs> I, I'm joking, I'm joking. But it was when Huddleston came over that he started to get the hump. And then I was sitting there watching it because it was happening right underneath me and I was going, where the fuck are the rest of the Arsenal players here? Where are they? Even if it is a bit silly and a little bit handbags, where are they to back him up? Eventually, Coquelin came over and on one hand you would say Coquelin showed some maturity, common sense by you know taking Theo Walcott and giving him a bit of a hug and going, come on, move away from all this. But the other party wants him to come steaming in and push Huddlestone out of the way. I suppose, yeah. you know, he'd get, he'd get crucified then if he did that and picked up a yellow card. Everyone would be going, oh, Coquelin, stupid yellow card to pick up. But, you know, at the same time, you, you a bit more aggression. Well, I, I feel like in Arsenal teams of the past, if that happened, it wouldn't have just been Coquelin. I mean, maybe I'm romanticising it slightly, but I feel like, you know, you would have had four or five Arsenal players around Walcott protecting him and, mm. you know, backing him up. Yeah. And I, I'm not I'm not necessarily encouraging that, but I'm saying that it's a sign of spirit and unity and the kind of thing that Robert Pires, I think, is alluding to uh, when he talks about those English players. I, w- I would say so, yeah, because, you know, he is basically the smallest guy in our team, not, not the hatchet man, not in any mm. way a, a clogger or a guy who's going to get himself into fights. But when you see him um, getting into a scrap with two whole players who are much bigger than him, get the fuck in there. You don't have to be stupid. You don't have to fucking start throwing punches. But just, yeah, wake the fuck up and see what's going on. You know, I, I do feel like there there have been times down the years where we really haven't done that in any significant way, that there should be a bit more of that. Mm. Like, I feel like if, if Xhaka was there, he, he would have been over. He would have had a yeah. go at that. You know, and and again, it's trying to find the balance between um, aggression, controlled aggression, and and picking up needless bookings. But you know, there's there is a, I mean, there is yeah. something to being a team that won't be fucking pushed around. There is something no, to that. I agree with you, and actually, I, I might be wrong about this, but my gut tells me that were he on the field in in a less uh, 
aggressive manner. I think Per Mertzaker is the kind of guy who would who would step in. You know, I think he has that sense of collective responsibility. Uh, I feel like he's someone who you can look to in in that scenario and maybe in a more level-headed way <laughs> than mm. Granite Shaka. But I do think <laughs> that those kinds of characters are so important. And, you know, look, I hate, I hate to... Uh, I don't like it when I see players surrounding a referee or anything like that, but I still think that the kind of hunger and the almost desperation to come out on top in any scenario that you see in that kind of behaviour is often indicative of the most successful sides. And it's like every situation is an opportunity to capitalise on or to support each other or to, you know, go all out for the victory. And I just feel like right now in the Arsenal team, and I think a lot of it is linked to confidence, I guess, and self-esteem, there isn't that fire. Mm. Mm. I mean, you look back at the the United teams that won a lot, and I don't think it's any coincidence that they were absolute cunts. Well, like, exactly, and, I, and I'm thinking of the Chelsea teams that won the league as well. You know, yeah, in the past, uh, evil, evil. Yeah, and I'm sure people. I'm sure if this was, you know, a United podcast or a Chelsea podcast, they would be saying similar things about Patrick Vieira and Martin Keown, and I'm very happy for them too. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So it is. Yeah, it is something that that we're we're lacking a little bit. And again, um, maybe it's trying to find some players who've got a bit more a uh, bit more spunk, James. Yes, a bit more spunk. Well, you know, Joey Barton said that Arsenal were interested in him once upon a time and he's back in the Premier League, so... Well, there you uh, go. There's always the nuclear option. Absolutely. Um, a spunkmeister of the highest order. <laughs> and a nuclear bomb full of spunk. <laughs> I imagine that big spunk cloud rising above the Emirates Stadium. Oh, my goodness. Oh, we'd yeah. have a, a spunkular winter. It'd be terrible. <laughs> the spunkular holocaust. <laughs> I, uh, right, now, where were we? We uh, were... So, yeah, go on. We were... Uh, I'm just trying to think of what happened in the game. It was Well, look, we... Changes, there weren't too many changes. Well, the first one... Who came on first? El Nenny. El Nenny El- El- came on, but I suppose we should talk about the. I mean, uh, Welbeck and Perez got on with about nine minutes to go. Yeah, um, and then and then of course we hung on at that point. It was getting a bit nerve wracking. I was waiting for that thing that happens when the opposition score a goal. There's this tiny pause. It's like a split second pause between the ball hitting the back of the net, the Arsenal net, and the away fans cheering. Where you, it takes that, just the sound waves, that little bit of time to, to hit wherever it is. I was waiting for that inevitably. And then, of course, we got the, the second goal. Um, definite penalty. Yeah, definite penalty. I mean, Lucas Perez must be furious, though. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. He, uh, denied a goal. Uh, and to be honest, having seen the penalty awarded, if you were asking me to pick a penalty taker from the people out there, he might have been top of my list, but I guess Alexis' uh, superiority in the pecking order, you know, t- mm. took advantage of that situation. Welbeck came over to have a sniff. Welbeck came Did over, he? yeah, he sort, of, <laughs> he sort of said to him, you know, you fancy it, I'll have a go if you don't want it, and uh, he was, uh, he moved on very quickly <laughs> to let Alexis take it. There was this big delay as well, wasn't there, because there was a whole player down injured. Um, yeah, I mean, it seems strange to say of a penalty that goes in, but it, it wasn't a, a great penalty, I didn't think. No, uh, no. You know, if the keeper goes the right way, or, you know... Stand still. Stand still, he basically out. saves that. Um, but uh, another goal for Alexis, Premier League's top goal scorer. Mm. Uh, 
You know, he's uh, he's putting himself in a very, very strong negotiating position. Let's put it like that. Yeah, like he isn't already. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, look, it, it it sealed the game at that point. Do you know what happened? Actually, we got the penalty, and it was quite late into the game. Was it in injury time or just just around injury time? It was right on the cusp, I think. Yeah. So we got the penalty, and the uh, the two lads sitting next to me, the minute the penalty was awarded stood up and left. No way. (laughs) I'm just thinking, you've been there the whole time. It's been freezing cold and you haven't had much to to cheer about. And now we get a penalty. Why why are you leaving? Maybe because it's such a long way down by the time the penalty had been taken, they they still saw it and, and got out of the ground. But I thought that was really odd. That is curious. Whole fans, maybe? <laughs> no, no, Whole no. De- definitely Arsenal it. fans, yeah. Wow. Um, that is an odd one, I have to say, when mm. you're basically told there's a very high chance there'll be a goal now. You've waited, you know, enough time for it. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, to walk out. I don't know. Maybe they had somewhere very important to be. Of course. I'm sure. Mm. Um so there we go. There was a lot of relief, basically, because I was sat in the stand. I was next to um, another journalist who's an Arsenal supporter, and let me tell you, there was there was some nerves in that press box. But we 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 got what we required. I mean, look, two 0 a clean sheet, and actually, it didn't feel like it at the time. But the broader context of the weekend, it, it was a, a pretty decent result. Other things kind of went all right for us. Yeah, they did. Obviously, Tottenham got beaten by. Um by Liverpool, yeah. which means that Liverpool have got a win under their belts before they play us. Of course they have, yeah. You know, um, well, that's fine. I'm happier for that because I, I think the more that they lost, the less likely it was that they were going to lose against us. Right, 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 right. But that's, that uh, you know, it's science, James. It's very scientific. Um, of course. <laughs> reasoning there. Um yeah, I mean, look, we're we're currently Chelsea, Chelsea drop points. I mean, are we interested in that anymore? Oh, it's on now. It's on definitely. Yeah, yeah this, is, this, <laughs> this, this, this is the start of the Chelsea collapse. Comeback starts here. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. There's 13 games to go, and uh, Chelsea are now going to plummet probably so, uh, very fast down the table. And, and you know, no, I you know, I, I can't see it really. But it does. If you want to, if you want to wallow, or if you want to live in the past, or uh, it makes the last week you know a little bit more frustrating, but. Hey, what can you do? Um, yeah, Man City are playing tonight. I think they're playing uh, Bournemouth. They are. We need a favour from former Arsenal man Jack Wilshere and future Arsenal man Eddie Howe. <laughs> uh, we do need something, yeah, because uh, as it stands, Manchester City can go into second place if uh, they win tonight. If they draw, they will go uh, into joint third or fourth place because if there'll be three draw. teams there'll be three teams on 50 points uh, but their goal difference will be such that they would be below us and below Tottenham so if they draw there will be five teams Tottenham, Arsenal, Liverpool and the two Manchester clubs within two points of each other mm, it's very very tight and again maybe it, it, it points to uh, points to Chelsea being just miles better than anyone else this season rather than everyone else being terrible if you know what I mean mm. um, Yeah, there's a sort of a, a equanimity or an equality there in the points total certainly um, yeah look uh, we had to win and I think going into obviously the game against Bayern on Wednesday night uh, getting a win under our belts was, was absolutely crucial, getting a clean sheet 
I would like to say we'll fill us with confidence, but you know, we we don't we don't really do clean sheet after clean sheet after clean sheet anyway. So um, it's difficult to know. But yeah, you know, if you, if you were going to pick a result out, um, just get a win and let's see what happens on Wednesday. Yeah, I mean, look, we've talked many times on this podcast about how Arsenal rarely come back from a, a couple of defeats with a barnstorming performance. Mm. You know, it's, it's, we're not one of those teams where it's like, oh, they've lost a couple of games. Someone's going to get hiding. It's They've lost a couple of games. They're going to desperately scrabble to a win in their next game <laughs> if they can. It, yeah. but com- our confidence seems to you know take time to rebuild. We, we are sort um, of not to 60 in about three, four weeks. Yeah, if we were a car. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but then we decelerate very fast. The brakes on this thing are extraordinary. Well, it's the handbrake, of course. Of course, yeah, yeah. It's, it's sort of the equivalent of a handbrake, and also the fact that we just seem to drive straight into a wall. Well, that doesn't help. No, you know. I, I also, you know, it's great that we've got her out of the way, and now we've got a real confidence builder in this trip to Munich in midweek. Mm. So that'll be good. That will be good. But I think we should discuss that. There's bound to be some questions about that uh, in the second part of the show. So what we're going to do is take a little break. We will be back with part two. All those questions and topics for discussion right after this. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. All right, welcome back to the Arscast Extra, the part of the show where we answer the questions or the topics for discussion that you suggest. Send to us on Twitter, at GunnerBlog and at ArsBlog, and also on the ArsBlog Facebook page, which is uh, facebook.com forward slash the ArsBlog. So mm. we, we, have a, we have a big game coming up uh, on Wednesday against Bayern Munich, the round of 16, the Champions League. Uh, we haven't progressed beyond this round of 16. Uh, for six seasons for, for now. For some time. For yeah. some time. It has been quite a while. And uh, there are a lot of questions about Mesut Ozil and uh, my mate Barry at Mesut 1079 wants to know, do you think Mesut is being dropped in Munich? Oh. Well, let me start by saying I was surprised, actually, by how... Uh, Frank, is that the word? Arsene Wenger's comments about Mesut Ozil were after the game. I wasn't there to hear those in the flesh because they were sort of in this kind of second part of the press conference that I'm not allowed into. But um, watching the game, I, I felt like Ozil was playing with a you know a bit of a lack of confidence. There wasn't the sort of classic swagger and the turns and the passing. It just all wasn't quite as crisp as normal. But Arsene's so protective of his players, I was a little bit surprised that he sort of came out and, and admitted as much, really. Were you 
surprised by that, or did you think it was? Reasonable? Yeah, yeah, I was a little bit. Where he where he said he he, he talked about he, how he didn't play well against Hull because of a, a lack of confidence, and then he said that's a problem. Yeah. Now that that was an interesting turn of phrase. Um, yeah, maybe I well, was. Is it is it a problem because is it a problem because you know that's a problem with us, or is it a problem because that's a problem for us if he's not at his best because yeah, he's such think, an important player? Yeah, I think the second, but uh, but yeah. it's also a problem for Ozil as well because um, he he does look like a man who isn't anywhere near his best. You know, I watched him quite closely against Hull and. You know, there were times where he was making those runs and and working hard to get into positions when we were going forward. But you know, sometimes you look at him and go, "Why? Why are you doing? Why are you doing that?" You know, when the ball comes near him and it's going to be like normal players, you'd have two players who jump to win a header, mm. and, and Mesedos just simply does not do that. He tries to back into the player or to obstruct him or to to get himself in front of the ball, maybe in the hope that he can bring it down. Um, but he, he seemed to spend most of the game just sort of backing into people to the point where it was a, an actual foul. Um, <laughs> and I'm not, I'm, not sure, I'm not sure what that is, really, or why he's doing it. It seems to be a bit more pronounced. Uh, but, you know, he, he had that chance to score in the first half, and you wonder if he'd buried that. I think that's what he tried to do. I think he tried to bury it rather than just sort of cushion it into the back of the net. Um, yeah, which is unlike him, really. Yeah, you know, his his technique is obviously sublime, but he, he does look like a guy who's who's uh, who's having a difficult time. There have been some some stories in the, in the papers from uh, certain newspapers saying that perhaps uh, hinting that other players are getting a little bit unhappy with his lack of effort and lack of work rate. And maybe you've got to take those with a pinch of salt because, you know, I don't think either of us can confirm or deny that. But you do wonder if there's if there's something going on with him. Um, in terms Robert of Perez didn't say anything about his work rate, did he? No, no he comment from Bobby P. No, I do. I mean, I didn't ask. I didn't. Ask. <laughs> um, I, uh, I, I, yeah, I, he doesn't look uh, the force he did in the early part of the season, and I'm a little bit surprised simply because you know he was, of course, uh, sick over over Christmas, but like he, he, did, he got a little bit of a break as a consequence of that, mm. and I thought that would serve him well, but it doesn't appear to have done so, and I. Uh, yeah, I, I'm a little concerned. That said, I think it would be a very, very big shout indeed to drop him for the Bayern Munich game. And given that he kind of invariably plays, I mean, I can't remember him ever being, inverted commas, dropped, you know, as an Arsenal player. To do so uh, on, on that stage in a tie of that importance, mm. uh, it would really surprise me from Arsene Wenger. Uh, I, I don't necessarily see that coming. What about you? I would be surprised if he didn't play, um, yeah. despite how poorly he is playing. You know, you've got to weigh up the, as I said in the blog today, you know, it's okay. You weigh up what Mesut Ozil at his best can give you. And does that counterbalance what, what Mesut Ozil at his worst um, doesn't contribute or, or, or the way that that has an effect on the team? But I think if you're going to go, look, if we were a team that will go to Munich and say, right, we're going we're gonna to defend for 90 minutes. We're going to come away from here with a clean sheet, maybe nick a goal. If that was our game and we had the players to do that, then you could say, well, maybe 
you could sacrifice Mesut Ozil in a big game away from home and keep him ready for mm. the for the home game. But we're not. We're not that kind of a team. And our realistically, our best chance of progressing is by scoring in Munich, and to score against a team that good, you need your best players to contribute something. And I think he will bank on Ozil being able to do that, maybe being on home soil, maybe that will be an extra motivation for him or redouble his efforts or something like that. But I think he will think that our best chances of getting a game or getting something from the game are if Ozil plays and, and plays well. However plays unlikely... W- uh, however uh, unlikely that where? Yeah, now this is what I was going to say. I would not be surprised if we did something not too dissimilar to what we did against Chelsea and started him on the left. Right, yeah. And tried to pack the midfield a bit more. I mean, we'll get on to the midfield, mm. I'm sure. Plenty of questions about that. I, I think Ozil will play. It is startling when you think about, I don't know, back in the kind of uh, autumn, when he, he, you think about the goal against Ludogorets, for example, the kind of magisterial control he was he had at that time. And mm. obviously, you know, it's very difficult to sustain that for the course of an entire campaign. But uh, the player we were watching then, you know, scoring goals, really developing that brilliant partnership with Alexis, he's not quite there now. And inevitably, when there are question marks over a player's future, conclusions will be drawn. I'm not saying that there's anything to it, but people will put two and two together, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, if you do leave him out of this game, it, it, it would be quite telling in a way, wouldn't it? Very telling, mm. very telling. And, and look, Arsene picks him pretty much whenever he can. He leaves him on the field pretty much whenever he can. Very rare to see him ever substitute. I was very surprised that he lasted the full 90 minutes against... Uh, so was I. I couldn't believe Hull. it. I thought it was going be, to be a Iwobi because Iwobi was looking quite tired. Uh, I thought it was going to be a Iwobi and Ozil who came off. And instead, yeah. he took uh, Oxley Chamberlain and Iwobi off. Um, I mean, Alexis. I, Alexis was not good either. I mean, he scored two goals. One of them was a handball, and one of them was a penalty in injury time. Mm-hmm. Um, I know he did make the cross for for Lucas to to head the ball uh, that that Lucas or Klukas saved from Lucas. Um, <laughs> I know. I know he played his part there, but generally speaking, I don't think Alexis was anywhere near his best either against Hull. So. I guess it's no. the, the the stature of the players has a has a, a part to play in the manager's decision making, which is kind of crazy. I think, like I, you know, I, I get it, but and it was kind of the same with Henri. You know, he, he didn't really come off no matter what happened, and he when he did, he was invariably furious about it. But I, against Hull, I thought we might be giving ourselves a problem here because Özil was so looked so tired and out of it but for the last 10 minutes that it almost felt like Alexis and Ozil were kind of separated from the rest of the team you know mm. it's kind of and as it transpired Arsim was proved right I suppose because we broke away and one of those players helps contribute heavily to the second goal but yeah. it was a it was a decision that surprised me certainly but as I say that's that's Arsim and Ozil you know he's got such faith in him I think he will play in Munich. Um, I think it might be on the flank, as, as you've just said. Um, but I, I think he'll start. I think it would be it'd be back page news if he didn't really. It'd be yeah, huge. It sure would. 
but as for who else starts, let's have this question. This is from uh, Atwood10 on Twitter. They say, has Ox now played himself into a starting centre midfield role or will he be dropped or moved when others are back? Ah, yes. There's a question. Um... He was good, wasn't he? I he thought. was. He was good. He was good. And I would be tempted... Yeah. I, you just you just don't know with Arsene Wenger what he's going to do with his central midfield. You know, when Ramsey comes back, we've got Xhaka obviously available for for Wednesday night. Um, El Nenny as well. El Nenny's there as well. Like uh, Marcus Mangan asks, would you start the Ox in the middle against Bayern? And my answer is yes, but I think I would play him as part of a three with Jacket and El Nenny. Yeah, I mean El Nenny is a name I would like to see on the team sheet. Uh, yeah, 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 he he brings so much energy. Even when he came on against Hull, just the sheer amount of ground. I feel like he's such a solid, dependable player. I think when you're going away to a team like Bayern. Uh, I think he could be really useful. Mm. So I, I would have him in there. I think Ox is a should start, deserves to start. I thought his distribution was so good against Hull. There was a brilliant pass for the outside of his right foot at one point. Mm. I think to Kieran Gibbs on the left hand side, sort of pass that you know Shaka would be proud of. Really, a, a, a really clever ball. And then I think it's it's one probably um, to, to make up a trio. I think that's I think that's probably the team you're looking at. So who would you? Um, I mean, who would you play? I mean, the only choice you have now is Coquelin or Xhaka. Yeah, I think so. I think. What would you do, and what what do you think the manager might do? <laughs> I think the manager. What do I think the manager will do? I think the manager will pick uh, Coquelin if he, if he's left with that choice. I might be tempted by Xhaka. I mean, Bayern are a side that he knows well. Let's not forget, he's a player who's come in from the Bundesliga. Um, I think he'll have a, a point to prove going back in that game, and I think. He'll be fresh as well. Mm. So I think he's got a point to prove full stop, to be honest. He's probably very frustrated by his time on the sidelines. And I didn't think Coquelin was great against Hull and nor against Chelsea. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think Shaka Elneny with Oxlade Chamberlain in there as well. Ozil on the left-hand side. Okay, here's a, here's a question because a lot of people have been asking about Lucas Perez or Theo yeah. Walcott. I mean, do you play Theo Walcott on the right-hand side against Bayern Munich? Does he give you that pace, that outlet that you need? Uh, or do you have concerns about his defensive uh, capabilities? As we saw a little bit against Chelsea, you know, uh, people pointed to him for not tracking the run of, of Marcus Alonso, uh, mm. which, you know... <sighs> Sure, he should have, but I don't think that was the the key issue in in that goal. Um, or, or do you play someone like Lucas Perez, who every time he comes on seems to be involved in a goal or a chance or something? The 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 end product this guy seems to have. I mean, Theo wasn't great against Hull. He had that moment, what you know, where he he um, he stood up to Harry Maguire and it got the crowd going a little bit. But you know, th- there wasn't much that we saw from Theo Walcott from a footballing point of view that made you say, "Ah, he's the guy to start against Bayern." Again, he was uh, uh, like others; he was pretty anonymous against Chelsea. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, it comes to a question. I've got a question here. Uh, yes, here from Jonathan uh, Hausman, who says, well, what kind of a message does it send to the squad when you only make one change after two defeats in a week? 
Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, we touched on this in the first half. I think that Arsenal was kind of making a point uh, by kind of keeping the same team as far as possible. I mean, the one change he did make was Montreal for Gibbs, but I imagine that will be reversed, would you think, in midweek? I hope so. I thought Gibbs was really quite poor. Uh, <laughs> he, he looked like a guy who hadn't played a lot of football, which is true. And, you know, it's understandable that he's not going to be at his best, but I just thought some of his uh, decision-making was was a bit odd. Um, mm. Tended to just sort of... There was a bit of Sunday league to the way that uh, he dealt with the ball in our half in the sense that he just kind of, oh, fuck it, I'm getting rid of it. I'm <laughs> just clumping right, it upfield, yeah. you know, where where a more confident player, even Kieran Gibbs in more confident form, would certainly look to try and keep the ball from an Arsenal point of view because that allows you to to build some momentum and build some rhythm in the game. Um, so, yeah, I, I think Monreal will, will play. I think he will as well. Um, Lucas Perez, I think, is unfortunately so efficient every time he comes on. But I think Arsene... Understandably, has has good great faith in Theo Walcott, particularly when Alexis Sanchez is also there. It, it was it telling, wasn't it, that as soon as Walcott became available again, that was when Alexis returned to the centre. I think he likes the way those two dovetail. Um, mm. While Theo hasn't performed particularly well of late, I mean, another name I would throw in is Danny Welbeck. I yeah. don't know how far he is from being able to start a match like this, but I mean, he started against Southampton and looked. Absolutely fine. <laughs> so, you know, in a big away game where you need a, a wide player offers pace on the break but, break, but also a measure of defensive cover, he seems ideal. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, as I said to you earlier, I can't believe there was only one change from the team that lost to Chelsea. And, and uh, yeah, I really do think that there is... There is a need to remind certain players. And, uh, you know... Uh, that Do goes you across Mesut Ozil and absolutely, yeah, yeah. But I think I think there is something. I think there is something more difficult about the situation when we have these contract situations going on with Alexis and, and Ozil. That if you're if you're a player of that stature and you're dropped, and let's not pretend that it would be anything other than being dropped, not rested, as the uh, terminology goes. Um, maybe they take the hump at that. Maybe they'll, you know, that has an impact on on what their future intentions might be. And you might say, well, you know, if that's the case, fuck them. But you know, let's be real about this. So it is, um, it's a it's a little more delicate, I think, for for Arsene Wenger to to deal with those two. But certainly, you know, uh, Theo Walcott. I don't think if Theo Walcott wasn't picked against Bayern, he could have no complaints. I don't think he can have any complaints based on his last couple of performances, and I understand what you're saying about him dovetailing with with um, with Alexis Sanchez. But you know, let's let's give a couple of guys who are obviously hungry to play. Uh, uh, Welbeck is coming back from injuries, missed so much football. He wants to play. Lucas Perez must be wondering why it is that he he's only getting little cameos here and there. Maybe maybe he's just really fortunate. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe he's the world's luckiest player in <laughs> yeah. that he only plays a little bit, but every time something goes right for him. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe on the well, training ground. Well, if that is grand, the case, let's, let's use it. <laughs> absolutely. But I think it's got more to do with him just being a clever, smart, intelligent player who is quite experienced. You know, he's 28 years of age. He's not a kid. 
um, you know, and he's got plenty of experience in various leagues and is, is a mature, uh, good footballer who, who's got end product pretty much every time he plays. So I, I'd like to see that. I mean, one name we haven't mentioned, do you think he could play Olivier Giroud? Yeah, I mean, Giroud's got a decent record, has he not, against Bayern Munich as well, mm. as I recall. Um, could he play him? He could do, but I would be surprised. Not as surprised as if he dropped Mesut Ozil. Mm. <laughs> I'd say about halfway along that little surprise scale. What do you think? Uh, yeah, I'd be surprised as well. I think, you know, he's he's the guy, if we need something in the last 20 minutes, he is the guy. Uh, and I think that would be very much in, in the manager's thinking there. So, Yeah, for sure. So it'll be interesting. Um, all right. Well, look, if you are going to the game, if you're looking for something to do or where to go in uh, Munich, check out at German Gunners, at German Gunners on Twitter. They've got a, a Munich travel guide. He says to us both, you may mention my Munich travel guide if you like. So there you go. We mentioned it and it's probably full of places to eat and drink and uh, and stuff like that. So check it out. Yeah, I'm sure it'll be great fun for those who are going. All right. Um, question? Yeah. Tell me. Yeah, okay, question. Uh, what is my question? This is from Offman, who's at O2 Idri on Twitter. Idri. Uh, yeah, and they ask. Um, that's how I say they, because it's sort of, uh, if I'm not sure of gender, I always say they. That's true. Uh, yeah. It's very yeah, progressive of you. Thank you very much. Yeah. Uh, they are, should Arsenal already have a contingency plan in place now in case Arsene Wenger calls it quits? And it's probably worth chatting about uh, what happened with Ian Wright over the weekend at this point as well. Should they? Yes. Do they? I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> Genuinely, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. Um... There are whispers, aren't there? There are whispers going around about certain names. Max Allegri seems to be yeah. seems to be one uh, that comes up. There was some stuff in the papers this weekend about uh, Tuchel at, at Dortmund. Mm. How serious any of that is, it's very difficult to determine. It is, and my, my feeling at the moment is not very... Um yeah, it was interesting, I think, the, the Ian Wright stuff as well, wasn't it? That he, he was at a function with Arsene Wenger and then went on BBC Five Live and he said, you know, it's my impression that uh, it's coming to an end. He seems tired, etc., etc. Um, that obviously sparked a lot of um, reaction. Arsene Wenger himself came out and said, look, I didn't give any impression or didn't give any indication to, to Ian Wright or anybody else about my future. Um, so... It, look, I, I mean, I, I think Ian Wright was a bit unfortunate in that, like, for some reason, what he said, became, he, which was clearly opinion, became taken as gospel, almost, it seemed, you yeah. know, like the way it was reported. I mean, I, I had not been on Twitter that evening, and I logged on, and I thought Arsene Wenger had announced he was going, because people were, you know, saying, talking about the end of an era and all sorts. It, it really spiralled pretty quickly, that story. Yeah. Um, Arsene was seemed pretty relaxed about it in his post-match press conference. Said that he was in a you know a Q and A with various people, and I think it's literally just Ian Wright reading Arsene's demeanour. Uh, and I, you know we've all been doing that for some time, and we we, we keep getting it wrong. So <laughs> I, 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 I think we're still none the wiser, really. Uh, absolutely, it is. It is one of those situations where your your opinion on it can change like within an hour 
You know, there's part of yeah. you where you could rationalise Arsene Wenger walking away at the end of the season. And then you think, well, he's he is a conscientious man. And whatever you might think of him, he loves Arsenal Football Club. And I don't think he would be in a position where he would just say in June, well, that's it, I'm going tough titties, off you go and you find a new manager. I, I just can't see him doing that because it would be, I won't say dereliction of duty, but it would make life really, really difficult for Arsenal. And I don't think Arsene Wenger would want to do that. Um, then there's other times where you think, well, yeah, maybe it's just, is it is it more hassle than it's worth for him now? Because, you know, the, the anger and the ire and the vitriol and the abuse that he's getting, which um, I, I, I just find... Um, I just find very difficult to deal with. You know, I can accept that people want a new manager and they want a change. I just can't find, uh, I just can't find any connection with people who like view him as some kind of, uh, monster. I just don't, I don't see it. Um, and you go, well, look, we're not second in the league. We're third in the league, but on goal difference. Um, what's going to happen if a new man comes in and does worse? You mm. know, it's, it's just one of those situations where you think, even if he was doing five points better, would people still be angry because we're five points behind Chelsea? I think, you know, there's for some people has gone so far that nothing that he can do will be good enough, even even winning things. Um, so, you know, it's it's such a difficult situation that the weight of of it all. Do you know what I mean? That we have to look at it not just from the subjective point of view as Arsenal fans, but the weight of everything it just feels really weird. I don't know what the fuck is going to happen. To be honest, I don't think it's a. I don't think it's a healthy situation at all for the football club. No, well, I mean, neither of the outcomes uh, feels entirely satisfying. Do you know what I mean? Because mm. like, it's it's not good. It's it's not going to be the perfect fairy tale farewell. It seems unless. Mm. Something pretty extraordinary happens in Munich and <laughs> onwards in that competition. Um, and if he does go, we, you know, the, the question is, do we should we have a contingency plan? I guess yes, um, but I feel like we probably don't. And what's fascinating is is to try and figure out what Arsene Wenger's conversations with the board are like at this stage. Do you know what I mean? Like, do they know things we don't know? Has a decision already been taken, but it's not public yet? Yeah. I, I don't get the impression that's the case. I don't either. I mean, I, I, I do think that he probably wants to stay, but also that if it just becomes like a, everything becomes a slanging match, everything, every time Arsenal lose a game, it's like a disaster as opposed to just a thing that can happen in football. And, you know, I get it. We're all frustrated, but it does seem to be overblown. And would it be if a new manager was in charge, if a new manager was in charge doing what we were doing this season, would there be the same anger and aggression and antipathy? Um, that, that word that I can't say. Antipathy. Yeah, antipathy. Yeah. Antipathy, antipathy. You know, that would there be? I don't think there would be, simply because it would be somebody different. And I think that's mm. all it is for, for, for sections of uh, Arsenal fans at this point, that they, they just want something different. Whether it's better or worse doesn't seem to be a consideration, just once it's different. Um, so I, I, I 
have no idea what's being said at board level. If you were to ask me, are Arsenal a club that's set up for a managerial change? I would say categorically, no. Are they interested in managerial change? I would say categorically, no, they're not. They've offered him, reportedly, a new two-year deal. So, the, yeah. you know, the change is, as we've said last week as well, the change is not going to come from Arsenal. It's going to come from Arsene Wenger and what it might take for that to come around. I don't know. It just, um, it's just, it's very difficult. It's a weird, weird scenario. Do you think that... Uh what happens in the in Munich and in this round of the Champions League will have a, a big determining impact on on Arsenal's future. Well, if we if we go out against Bayern Munich, maybe we do ourselves a little bit of justice. Maybe we you know restore some pride and play well and over two legs and just don't quite get through. I don't think that's going to stop anybody saying seven successive years of going out in the round of sixteen. Something has to change for Arsenal to change. Yeah. You know, and you can see that point of view as well. So I think, you know, he really does need to make some progress in the Champions League. But, you know, we talked about what would be a successful season last season, and, you know, we laughed at the idea of winning the Champions League, but maybe restoring some excitement by getting to a quarterfinal or a semifinal, um, you know, would, would, would help in, in that way. Um, but this is the bind he's in, because we can look at this objectively now and say... There's no reason to expect Arsenal to beat Bayern Munich over two legs. It's a very difficult tie. It's quite possible that we will lose it. Like, rationally, any any objective onlooker would mm. say that that's a difficult tie that we, Arsenal could well come out second best in. But if we do, even if it is by a narrow margin, he will still face a barrage of criticism for, you know, for, for Aileen to get Arsenal beyond this point. Well, yeah, I mean, Bayern are favourites, I think. Maybe yeah, they're not the so. same Bayern as they used to be, but I still think, given their um, experience and, and record in this competition and uh, alongside ours, they're favourites. And is there any shame in going out to a team that's you know better than you? Not really, but because of everything else, you know, throw it in the mix and it becomes um, a difficult thing. So I look, I just, I really don't know, but I think it's going to be one of those situations where people's not not necessarily opinions, but their their outlook on it or their mood is literally going to change game by game. Mm. So yeah. I think I saw something on Arsenal.com. Somebody said, oh, we've got 13 finals or every game is a final now. And it is not just for the points that we need or not just for the for the Champions League, but because um, because the, the, the impact of a defeat on Arsenal is seems to be far reaching way beyond that of any other team. Yeah, absolutely. It does feel that way, and and it, and it's not just the manager's future at stake. It's it's some of the players as well. Mm, mm. Okay, here's a question uh, from Facebook from Mark Kemish, and he says, "Hi guys, great show. Thanks, Mark." Anyway, he says, uh, do you think Bellerin is becoming overrated? His performances are becoming more and more mediocre. Thanks. Thumbs up emoji. I don't think he's overrated. I think he is one of the most exciting young fullbacks in Europe. I think he is going through a little bit of a dip at the moment and he's had a couple of injury problems as well, which which haven't helped and have interrupted his fluency. Mm. Um, I don't think he's at the top of his game, but I think when you're a young player... That's you know that's what happens, and I think he, yeah, I I, uh, I wouldn't say he's overrated. I still think he's worth probably every penny of that 
that big big contract we got him earlier this season. What about you? Yeah, I think he's uh, he's a young player, and young players, however exciting and how much quality they have, tend to to have. If not dips in form, they, they plateau a little bit and then they make some progress again. I think Hector isn't necessarily 100% in terms of his ankle. Uh, one of the things I, I have noticed is that uh, he doesn't seem quite as quick as he used to be. And I do wonder if that's down to uh, the ankle problem he suffered earlier in the season. I think he could be carrying that a little bit. So... Um, I don't think he's overrated, no. I just think that, uh, like many players in this Arsenal team at this moment in time, he is not playing his best football because, uh, essentially, the team are not playing particularly well either. Uh, and, and it's very difficult for players to play their best when the team, again, it feels a little bit like it did last season, is, is a little bit dysfunctional. I think it's because of midfield. I don't think we have necessarily the platform to control games the way that we should, which allows players to, to thrive and to play their best football. Um, and also, you know, he, he's just a young guy who, who is gonna, who is gonna dip a little bit. But I think, uh, you know, if you asked any team in the world if they'd like Hector Bellerin, uh, they'd snap your hands off. Yeah, I think it comes down to that, really. I don't think he's right at the top of his game at the moment, but then who in this Arsenal team is? Yeah. Yeah. Not many. <laughs> Not many. <laughs> All right. Uh, one more? Yeah, sure. Great. This one, I thought this one is about atmosphere. So I thought I'd ask you, seeing as you were there on Saturday. Day Dean Evans on Facebook says, "I was sat in the North Bank on Saturday and stood for the whole game. I noticed the crowd didn't sing much, but different sections of the ground did. Do you think a standing singing section would increase the noise volume at the Emirates to help create that twelfth man for the team?" Um. 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 You know, I think standing in general helps create more atmosphere. Yeah. Sitting down by its, by its very nature, you sit down and you relax. That's what you do, isn't it? You know, you sit down, ah, here we go. And, you know, it, it doesn't lend itself to, uh, to singing or to, to getting involved. It, it, it has been not just at Arsenal, but across the Premier League, uh, the all seater stadia have uh, contributed to, to, uh, a loss of atmosphere at games. Yeah. I, I think that's. I, I don't think that's even in question. Um, it sanitizes the whole thing slightly, yeah, doesn't it? Absolutely. You know, there is an energy to standing up. Um, you, you're and a requirement of, to keep warm. <laughs> absolutely, but um, you're more. You're, yeah. you're closer to people. You're packed together. You. You know, there's a bit of. There's a bit of movement. There's. I don't know. There's just something about terracing that that makes a big difference. Um, and. If the question is about should there be a standing section, I would really hope that Arsenal um, get fully behind this safe standing movement. I think it's important for the game um, that the atmosphere doesn't become even more sanitized than it is already. You know, it was funny because sitting there uh, watching the build-up to the game and they announce the teams and they play the music and they do that little montage and they do all that, you know, but the, there really is no room for the crowd to make any noise until the kickoff. You're, mm. It's drowned out completely by the the team announcement, by music, by that montage, by the clock going tick, 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 tick. You know, and even then, before the game, uh, you know, welcome to the fans of Hulset. There's music playing, music playing, and it doesn't stop until literally the first whistle. 
And at that point, everyone's sort of sitting there and it's cold and, you know, um, and we've, we've seen it at Wembley as well, where they, you know, they try and play terrible dance music and, you know, rather than let the crowd make their own noise, it's almost like piped, uh, crowd noises are going around the place. So I think that plays a part as well. So yeah, I would be really interested in the, in the idea of a, of a standing section at, at the Emirates Stadium, uh, and I think it would make a big difference to the. Uh, I think it would make a big difference to the atmosphere. Yeah, I think it would. I mean, you know, sort of down block six in that corner is uh, effectively a safe standing section that's kind of un, you know un. Mm. Uh, uh, what's the word? Not unenforced, but you know, it's allowed to be yeah. uh, by the stewards. They've kind of accepted that. But I think, you know, increasing that, expanding it, or, or just making it official, really, uh, would definitely be a good thing. Because that, it can't be coincidence that that's where everybody stands uh, at the Emirates Stadium, and that's where most of the atmosphere is generated from. So, yeah. uh, fingers crossed, you know, they can formalise that. I do think it would help. And I, and I, I worry about the way it's going, certainly, especially with prices spiraling and things like that i do i do worry that you know the 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 fact that there's so much um busyness before the game it almost reeks of the the big brands involved worrying that the atmospheres is going to not be there you know but i think you have to create space for fans to make noise that's the mistake they always make at cup finals isn't it just piping in so much music that yeah no atmosphere actually builds exactly exactly you know um like we can all go and hear loud music wherever we wherever we want, but mm-hmm. you know it's not going to make us stand up and sing. Or you know, um, you need it to be a little bit more organic than that. And yeah, you know, it is it's it's quite noticeable, isn't it? As I said earlier, it was very quiet. Maybe that was just where I was sitting. Um, but uh, you know, across the Premier League, I think it's an issue that's only going to get worse and worse because. Um, as the atmospheres get worse, they'll try more stupid stuff to try and build atmosphere, which then helps kill atmosphere even further. So, um, yeah, let's hope that the safe standing things can come through and it's something that the Premier League clubs can implement. And I think as well, there is, there's also, uh, what's the, what's the word? Um, what's what I'm trying to say here? That you need to inject a little bit of, uh, useful vitality into the yeah. crowd, right? Because who are the people that are going to stand and make noise? Is it the, you know, the 55-year-old guy uh, or the, you know, the, the the group of lads who are, you know, 18, 19, 20, uh, all hanging out together, going to the game together, you know, making some noise? I, I think you need to look at the, what's the word? Um, profile? Yeah, the profile, but, you know, when it comes in an age point of view what's the word demographic the demographic that's exactly it you know i think they've got to be very mindful of that because unless they get these people into the stadium uh you know new generations of fans then it's going to get even worse over the years and to to arsenal's credit they've done um some good work in that regard you know the 10 pound tickets for the for the capital one cup etc etc but you know, on a on a more regular basis, I think uh, that that's something that they really need to pay attention to. And I don't think it's just Arsenal, by the way. I think it's every every club. I would agree with, entirely with that. All right, I've got one final question here. Go on. That we've got a game against uh, Sutton United next Monday, and then we've got mm. we've got a lot of time off. Uh, so Tokyo Gooner, who's at Kamido Gooner. I don't know what the difference is. Maybe Kamido is is that somewhere in Tokyo, or I, I don't know. 
I, I wouldn't hesitate to guess. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know either. I'm, I'm, I'm asking. But anyway, he wants to know, what would you, what would you recommend Arsenal fans do to pass the time from February 20th to March the 3rd? It's like an enforced interlull, but without the internationals. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, I'm looking at it now. Well, I mean, there's Shrove Tuesday in there, so eat some pancakes, that's for sure. Um, that's coming up. What else? Uh, I mean, we might, to be honest, we might be... Our, our mood will be so determined by what's happened on the pitch, right? Yeah. When I mean, if things go, don't go well and these two cup ties coming up, I don't know what we're doing. Building effigies of David Ospina. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> oh, he, will he play in Bayern uh, against Munich? Yeah, he's going to play, isn't he? He's our, he's our Champions League goalkeeper. Yeah. There we go. So there's something to... Uh, Here's a question. Actually, this occurred to me during the week. I know we're a little bit off topic here, but... Sorry. If, if the situation we have, right, with, with David Ospina and Petr Cech, where Cech is the Premier League goalkeeper and Ospina is the, uh, the Champions League goalkeeper, is it a case that we're trying to keep two good goalkeepers happy or a case that we don't have one goalkeeper good enough to play in both uh, I think it started as the former, uh, <laughs> but with Czech's form dropping, I'm not sure if it feels like that anymore. Um, I think it is the former still. I think we're trying to keep two goalkeepers happy, but I guess if there was someone who was so outstanding, you know, mm. that, it, that, that they would kind of demand to be picked for both. The fact that no one's really going, well, we must play Czech against Munich, suggests that he's not the, you know clear, de facto, undisputed number one in the way that he once was. Yeah. Where people would have been up in arms about such a decision. And Ospina deserves credit for that too. Um, as for what people should do in that 10 days off, I mean, uh, maybe forget about football, go outside, go for a walk, you know, look at nature. That'd yeah. be nice. Yeah. Feed the ducks. Feed the ducks, guys. But be careful, the bread is not too hard. Apparently they can choke on that. Apparently you're not supposed to feed them bread at all. Really? Do they explode or something? That's uh, pigeons and raisins, isn't it? I forget. Pi- what? Hang on. What? Pigeons explode if you feed them raisins? Something like that. Hang on. I, I There's a book, Danny Champion of the World, and I'm pretty sure. Pigeons <laughs> explode. Rice? R- uh, hang on. I- I'm Googling this now. Do pigeons, pigeons explode? Pigeons, rice. Pigeons, rice, explode. That's it. Can rice really make a bird's stomach explode? Apparently this is true. I, I was told this once. If you want to blow up a pigeon, there are terrorist cells just packing pigeons full of, you know, rice, rice. Uncle Ben's, and then sending them out into the world. Um, I don't know. I think it's like their stomachs can't deal with the rice and it expands and the bird blows up. Yeah. Apparently bread is, is, uh, is bad for ducks because down on the... Um down on the canal here, I walk into town and we walk down the canal, there's always there's always uh, ducks and swans and, and seabirds and stuff on the canal. And they have, a, they have a sign there that shows you what you should and should not be feeding them. And bread is one of those things. And everybody says, um, you know, normally that you should feed the ducks bread. But here's apparently, according to the uh, Daily Express, which of course we know is... is uh, yeah, truth, absolutely. Yeah. These are the six things that you should never feed ducks. Okay, I'm listening. Number one, bread. <laughs> okay. Number two, chips. Okay. Now, that, that could be French fries, or it could also mean potato chips. 
I mean, yes. is this just unhealthy? Because so far, both these things are quite bad for humans as well. I mean, what's... Number three is crackers. Right. <laughs> Number four, cereal. So you don't want to okay. give them Cocoa Pops or Frosties, even though they're yeah. great. Uh, number five, sweets. Ducks do not want to eat sweets. Okay. Or number six, moldy food. I would say that one's self-explanatory, that one. Yeah. Um, oh, does that mean, like, blue cheese is out? Uh, blue cheese probably is out. A good Stilton. Yeah. So what are, are, can you feed ducks? Okay, they've Ste- got six steak, things. cider. <laughs> uh, They're yeah. not on the list. <laughs> uh, they, uh, yeah, chicken korma. Uh, that's a good one. Curry is not on there. I was thinking. Imagine <laughs> giving a duck a curry. That would be amazing, wouldn't it? I wonder what would they like. Would they like an Indian curry or a Thai curry, sort of Penang I, or a Massaman curry? What I would they like? I was thinking Indian, but then they couldn't have poppadoms because they probably fall under the, the crackers. The cracker thing, yeah. No naan either. Yeah. Be careful of that rice as well. Don't give it to any pigeons. And actually, as well, you know, if you gave a duck a really spicy curry, it would give him, like, the incredible shits. Yeah. And your your yeah. waterways would be absolutely destroyed by duck shit. It's Imagine. a dangerous game, feeding the ducks. Well, they say that you can feed them corn, lettuce, peas, oats. Oats. And it says... Like, that's not my girlfriend's diet. She's intolerant of everything else. Right, okay. Uh, <laughs> six seeds, but number five, rice. So apparently it's okay to feed a duck rice, but if you feed a pigeon rice, it would explode. That's an accident waiting to happen, isn't how, it? Someone to get that wrong. How much rice do you need to feed a pigeon for it to explode, though? And do you need? Do you have to, like, shake it or prime it or what? Does it just waddle about? How long? I need to know this. I think you have to light it. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Setting fire to a pigeon that you feel yeah. with rice. It's like a, like a Molotov cocktail, except with wings. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Uh, well, this so is feed the birds, guys. Feed the birds. <laughs> yeah, dude. There's lots of fun you can have. Clearly, <laughs> all right. Got all the gu- necessary guidance. All right. Well, I am going to stuff a pigeon full of rice, and sure. uh, I-, I won't light it first. I'll just see. Maybe it'll just ex- you know expand, expand, expand because of gases, and then just. I think they start ticking. I think they start ticking like a time bomb. All right. I'll, r- I'll run away. Out. I'll I'll throw one at a. I don't know. Uh, group of Chelsea fans or something. We'll see what happens. Great. All right. Well, great, great. Um, we will have a podcast on Friday, even though we don't have a game until Monday. We'll be looking ahead to the uh, FA Cup uh, game against Sutton United. I guess, James, we should probably leave the Arscast Extra until Tuesday then. That would make sense, yeah. wouldn't it? Yeah, that would be good. Let's do that. So uh, blame the BBC for no Arscast Extra next Monday. We'll catch you next Tuesday. Until then, take it easy. Bye-bye. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan 
turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com.